Hey, I'm John Harwood, and on this edition of the CNBC Speakeasy podcast, a wild conversation with Vicente Fox, the former president of Mexico who has turned into a flamboyant critic of the current president of the United States. We sat down after he delivered a speech to an international business conference called Emerge in Miami, where he explained his opposition to Donald Trump and his optimism about future prosperity. It's a vision driven by advances in human health and technology, including the robots now revolutionizing the manufacturing process. You made me feel a lot better. Uh, You've explained that income inequality is going to go away and that I'm going to live to be 130 years old. But what I want to know is, what exactly am I going to be doing when I'm 115? Golfing, reading, vacationing, uh, getting the income that robots are going to be producing for you. Mm-hmm. No more jobs. Robots are going to work for us. So it's a wonderful world. And what, what is Donald Trump going to be doing at 130? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Tell you one thing for sure, he is not going to be president of the United States. Yeah. But will there be a wall? Will there be a wall between our countries? I don't know. It's your decision, I mean the American people. If American people wants to pay for the wall, let it be. We don't care in Mexico if you build a wall. If you're you not, waste your you're money. You're not paying for it? Huh? You're not paying for it? That's exactly. We are not paying for that wall. That's for sure. No. And why should we? Why should we? I mean, it's incredible, these pitches that he's uh, trying to throw hardball to Mexico. We, we're offended. We're really offended. Uh, we don't like what he has said about Mexico and Mexicans. Every Mexican now is very clear that we must fight, that we must resist, that he will go away one day, I hope soon. Do you think Trump actually believes the things he says about Mexico and immigrants, or is he performing, trying to get votes? Well, uh, what I see is stupidity on on what he considers the, the best, most virtuous process of negotiating. So he first intention is to defeat his opponent. And once he has defeated his opponent, then he proposes uh, something to negotiate with. I think it's the wrong strategy because on the process of negotiating, you're destroying so many things. It's going to be extremely difficult for him to regain the loyalty, the friendship, the partnership of Mexico. It's going to be very difficult to deal with China or Russia under the conditions that he has placed them upon. You, and it's going to be very difficult that that kid in North Korea, uh, like uh, he is playing the same that Trump. So we're in the hands of two kids with the red button, with the atomic bombs, and our fate and our future is in the hands of these two kids. You were a businessman before you were a politician, just like Trump. Uh, you didn't use his strategy, his negotiating strategy. Yours was different? Not that kind. I always believe that uh, you must listen to the other, that you must understand your opponent, that you must try to reach a point of uh, linking or joining in, because two produce more than one. If you divide, 
you're only half of one. Now, if I understood you correctly, you said you thought that uh, the president, our president, has only revealed part of what his agenda is, that there's much more coming that we have not seen. What do you mean by that? Well, what I see, and uh, I've been debating with this fellow Farage, creator of the mm -hmm. Brexit yep. and promoter of the Brexit, uh, about nation state, about a powerful government that controls borders, but also controls individuals, that we will lose all of our freedom of thought, that we will be asphyxiating innovation, creativity under powerful governments. And I say this because of what we suffered in Latin America through the 20th century. We were not, we did not grow as citizens, as society, as community, because we had these powerful gorillas on top of us. That they will say and claim that they will solve all of our, all of our problems. If you don't have a job, don't worry, he says, in this case, Trump, I'll bring him back from Mexico. If you have fear, don't worry. I build a wall and protect you. If you have fear that we might be defeated, don't worry. We have atomic bombs, and we're going to have the most powerful army in the world. So it's, it's pure populism, this answer that he gives to people. And unfortunately, people, and I understand this, especially in Latin America, yes, when you're poor, when you don't have opportunities, when you have fear, you claim and you bring in those powerful authoritarian leaders to guide your future. That's not what the world is today. The world of today has and gathers all its energy out of each single human being. And like Dalai Lama said, the world belongs to humanity, belongs to persons, to human persons not to dictators, not to governments, not to authoritarian governments. The world, then, he follows uh, nations belong to their citizens, not to one guy. Look at Maduro. He appropriated Venezuela for himself. And he is imposing upon millions of Venezuelans his will. And that's the problem with authoritarian governments. You close up the door to innovation, to a future, to individual initiatives. In 25 years or so, the United States is no longer going to be a majority Caucasian country. Uh, as we get closer to when we uh, are a majority minority country, are those passions that produce Trump going to get stronger or weaker? Well, who, who knows? The only thing that seems certain, and it was stated by Colin Powell, when he said uh, this nation must be very committed with minorities because minorities will become majorities in the near future. And so we must educate, we must give access to education, we must give access to technology, access to opportunities to those minorities so that we have the strong leadership that will be running this nation later in the future. But it's difficult to say what's going to happen. The thing is that we all are created equal, that we all must have same opportunities, that we all own this home, this global home of 8 billion people, 
that we all have to be here and that we all have a need to progress. And this is what happened in this last 30 years. It's incredible the way Africa has prospered and has progressed. It's incredible the way Latin America has progressed and has prospered in this late uh, three decades. And all of this because of you, because of you leading technological minds, leading science minds that have provoked this phenomenon. And as I said before, the future looks more brighter then. And the only thing that can stop this future that we have ahead is violence, is war. That's the only thing that can stop those wonderful things to happen on this 21st century. Let me ask a question about you. Um, you have uh, seemed to very much enjoy challenging, calling out President Trump. You've got the t-shirt, can't build a wall if your hands are too small. <laughs> Why have you chosen this role? Well, uh, being very candid, this t-shirt is to raise money. Because Matt and I, we have three foundations to nourish. And all three of them live out of income that we raised. The conferences I do, this one, the income I get here, I donate to the three foundations. How is the t-shirt selling? Uh, quite well, but they have not reported yet. <laughs> I'm waiting to see they might be getting the profit and not we. But second, second, and I think it's, it's, it's very important on, uh, on the case of Trump. I think I selected the right sparring. And not only I'm trying to influence as much as I can on this nation, because it's my nation too. Because half of what you see here is American blood. My grandfather was born in Cincinnati, Ohio. And he came down to Mexico as a migrant without a penny in his pocket back in 1895. So I love this nation. I want the best for this nation. That's one reason why I selected this sparring. But there's a second reason. I've been now 10 years out of the presidency, out of the administration. I started getting income from conferences, really high level, high level. A lot of income I got the first, second, and third year when I left the administration. But that's been coming down and down and down. I do a lot of conferences for free now. And I'm down to 25,000 US dollars. I used to be 200,000. So as I need money, I need to refresh myself. And I said I'm very candid, but I need money for the foundations. Are you doing this one for free? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, OK, so you were uh, elected. By the way, I'm doing a cannabis conference uh, starting tonight and tomorrow. <laughs> Because I think the answer to violence in Mexico, to homicides, to those 80,000 kids losing their lives in the streets of Mexico is legalizing. I think that's the way we're going to get out of that old paradigm. And we are going to move from crime, blood, and killings to a new industry. Do you think 10 years from now, marijuana will be fully legal throughout this hemisphere? No doubt. I don't have any doubt. It's a very nice, lovely plant. <laughs> Marijuana. 
coming from Mexico, somebody made it bad. Somebody is making bad use of marijuana. But marijuana has a lot of virtues, has a lot of good medicine contents. And uh, now using this plant for building an industry, I think it's very wise. Instead of having the criminals take 55 billion US dollars here every year, that's what they raise here in the United States. And then everybody blames Mexico. What's going on with those Mexicans? Are they going crazy? Are they drinking too much tequila? Why are they killing each other? Well, because we're in between. The mammoth, huge consumer market in the United States and the products and the drug coming from Venezuela, from Colombia, from Ecuador, from Bolivia. We just happen to be in between. We're trapped right there. We don't consume drugs significantly in Mexico. We don't produce drugs significantly in Mexico. So are you saying that the drug problem in the United States is not Mexico's fault? Absolutely, yes, and let me tell you. The headquarters, and we understand in business, headquarters, home office of the great cartel is here in the United States. It's not the Mexicans, we're not so smart. I mean, those who distribute here, those who raise the money here, those who benefit from uh, crime and drugs are the U.S. cartels. They are here. Mexicans don't distribute the drug here in the States. It's done by this corporate headquarters of cartels in the United States. You were elected president in December of 2000 in Mexico. So Bill Clinton was just finishing his term. You then uh, served with George W. Bush. You've watched Obama, and now you see Trump. Describe how you see, uh, how you compare those presidents with one another, and what you see as the arc of U.S.-Mexico relations. Well, let me first uh, say that uh, we deposit too much authority, too much capacities, too much challenge on the figure of the president. Really, this nation is as strong as ever has been and always has been because of this university system, for instance. It's incredible the power of universities here, the way they impact the good things that happen in this great country. It's corporate world. It's corporate structures. It's incredible. And denying Wall Street today, saying that it's the bad guy, when Wall Street's stocks are owned by over 60 million families in this nation, there is no other more powerful distributing system, distributing of income than Wall Street. And then you have the swamp. This guy, the swamp. Is there a swamp in Mexico City too? Well, the whole of the nation. <laughs> no, we're immersed on, on profound corruption. And this is why uh, candidate Meade is struggling so much, because he has this burden of corruption that pre means and that pre is done throughout the history. So we need a change there. But who is exempt of corruption? I question here. In Latin America, it's called corruption. Here it's called lobbying very elegantly, loving.
Well, let me put it this way. You've seen the United States becoming more and more integrated economically with NAFTA. Donald Trump is now saying that he is going to renegotiate NAFTA or rip it up. Um, first of all, do you think it will be ripped up? Or do you think there will be a new deal? And if there's a new deal, uh, is it a better deal for the United States? Or something that Trump will pretend to be a better deal for the United States? To transit from private sector into public sector successfully, you need a lot of learning experiences before. I came from business. My mind was totally immersed on how to manage and run business. And I thought it was the same thing to do it in government. Believe me, it's absolutely different. There is no comparison. And to adapt to the new situation, at least in my case, took me three years of being a congressman, then four years of being a governor, and still learning what the difference was. In the first two years as uh, president of Mexico, I yet had a lot of new experiences and new learning. This is the process that Senor Trump has to go through. There's no other way he can avoid it. Still, his mind is sink on the profound uh, thinking of corporate, of management, of business running. So he's got a lot to learn in this process and a lot to change. Now, if he is going to succeed with his policies, many of them are intrinsically in the roots of the issue is wrong, the position. It's, it's his positions have been pro, I mean, confronted all along. It's wrong his foreign policy. It's wrong to fight with everybody. It's wrong to offend everybody. It's wrong to offend women. It's an evil mind. It's, it's somebody that, yes, on one side shows a lot of goodwill to corporations like Latin American dictators did all along. Here is what you need. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to tax cut. I'm going to give whatever you want. I'm going to bring back the job. Now, the country will pay for that. Economy does not, does not just move to positive terms. Every action has a reaction. Every decision has a consequence. The debt is now running very high. So he's exchanging the uh, now for people here, giving them what people want, sacrificing the future. There's no doubt on that. And this is the policies of dictators. This is the policies of messianic and populist leaders. You have an election going on in Mexico right now. Um, is Russia messing around in your election? Uh, we don't have those uh, fixed negative positioning nations. We deal with Russia as we deal with everybody else. We don't have those background negative thoughts. We deal with China now more than, uh, than before, because we need to replace. If NAFTA is not going to be there, Mexico has 48 trade agreements with everybody in the rest of the world. Let's not forget that 80% of global gross product is out there. It's not here in the United States, but only 20% of gross product. So I don't, I don't understand. 
a leader of a nation isolating its citizens inside of four walls, jailing its citizens, its, its minds, its innovation capacities in four walls. I don't understand the leadership of this nation that has shown very successful throughout the last 50 years, now withdrawing back and saying, world, do it as you wish. I am America. I'm going to build a wall. I'm going to be a nation state. And the rest of the world, let it be. What's going to happen with GM, with Chrysler, with Ford? I mean, they make their profits out there. They are present in every market of the world. How he can think that he can come back, bring back those three corporations, jail them in in four walls, and force them to produce here, they will lose all their competitive again. They're going to go broke again. Those jobs will never come back, the manufacturing jobs. The jobs that are coming in is the ones you are creating. Those are the jobs of the future. And manufacturing is fading away. It's robots that are taking over. It's science. It's technology that is taking over. And, and that's a reality. You mean it's not stupid trade deals? <laughs> trade deals are the greatest thing that happened to this world. When President Washington became president, what was his first move on economic policy? He sent Jefferson. He sent the brightest minds that he sent to Europe to trade with Europe. And that's the way this economy started moving ahead. Let me just pin you down one uh, uh, final time. Do you think that we will stick with the existing NAFTA, that NAFTA will be ripped up because there's no new deal, or will there be a new deal? Uh, the, latest, the latest information we get is that there is going to be a NAFTA to the future that is going to be improved in several issues. But you think there will be a new deal? Yes, yes, 95% of possibilities now, fortunately. Okay. fortunately. This is another false prophet a promise that is not going to be real. Is there anything you'd like to say to President Trump that you haven't said already? Yes, Trump apologized to Mexico, to Mexicans. And then we can have your taco ball in your tower. Well, that's it for this edition of the Speakeasy podcast. Thanks for listening. Please make sure to subscribe to Speakeasy on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave a review or comment. We appreciate all your feedback. Talk soon.